So the title of my sermon this morning is going to be, He Remains Faithful. And the passage is Genesis chapter 22. And that's the story of Abraham and Isaac. So while you're turning to Genesis 22, I'd like to tell you a story about faithfulness that I read recently. This story, it comes from a book called The Hiding Place by a lady called Corrie ten Boom. And she lived in the Netherlands during World War II. And what her and her family did was they sheltered Jewish people in their homes and protected them from the Nazis who were trying to capture the Jews, uh, take them to Germany, and ultimately kill them. And so Corrie, she lived in a house with her elderly father and one of her sisters, and they actually had a hiding place in her room inside a closet which they could access to hide the Jewish people in if if the police ever came. And then also, on the other side of the town, Corrie's sister, Nolly, she also sheltered Jews And that's how they went. Uh, They were believers. They had great faith in God. And they did this work of sheltering Jewish people and protecting them. One day, they were sitting, having lunch. Corrie was sitting at her dinner table with her family and these Jewish people. And she hears a knock on the door. Now, for us, that would be an inconvenience. But for her, it was a big worry. Who could it be? Could it be the police? So she went to the door, opened it slowly, peeked out. And it was actually one of the ladies from her sister's house, one of the Jewish ladies. And she was really surprised to see her out during the day. That was very dangerous for her. And as she looked closer, she saw that her face was as white as a sheet. And she was in shock. So Corey asked her, wait, what's wrong? What's happened? And the lady said, your sister, Nolly, she's gone crazy. She's gone mad. And Corey said, well, what what do you mean? What's happened? And the lady said, Nolly, she told the policeman, a policeman came to the house and she told him that Annalise was a Jew. Up to this point in the story, we've already found out that Corrie and her sister Nolly, they have a disagreement and this revolves around telling the truth. Corrie believes that under certain circumstances, it's okay to tell half-truths or to lie if it's to protect God's people. Whereas Nolly believes that the conviction is to stay and trust completely in God's command to never lie. And that's what Nolly had done. The policeman had asked her, is this lady a Jew? And Nolly had said, yes, she is. And they'd taken them away. Nolly was taken to a police station in the town. And this lady was taken, this Jewish lady was taken to a theater in Amsterdam, the capital city. And this is where they collected the Jews before they would then take them to Germany to the concentration camps. Corrie was beside herself. Her sister was in prison. She was kind of mad at her for telling the truth and putting this lady in great danger. But she was able to have contact with her sister. They were able to give her a sweater to keep warm, bread every day. And her sister was able to get a message out. And what she said, the message she got out to Corrie was this. No ill will happen to Annalise. God will not let them take her to Germany. He will not let her suffer because I obeyed him. Corrie wondered what this meant, how her sister could have so much faith. But she was still worried. Her sister was in jail. She didn't know what was happening to Annalise until a couple of days later, there was another knock at the door. And this time, it was part of a man who was part of the underground movement, a person she knew. And he said that he had a message for Corrie. And so she asked him what it was, and he said this. The Jewish theater in Amsterdam was broken into last night. Forty Jews were rescued. One of them, a young woman, was most insistent that Nolly knew Annalise is free. 
Corrie asked herself, how had Nolly known? How had she been so sure? And as we read this passage and we look at it today, I think we're going to get some of the answers of where Nolly's faith was founded. Let me pray, and then I'm going to read Genesis 22. Father, we thank you that you are the same God um, of this passage, this story of Abraham and Isaac, the same God to Corrie and Nolly Tenboom during World War II in the Netherlands, and you are the same God now. Please help us as we study this passage to place our faith in you and you alone. In your name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to read Genesis chapter 22. This is from the ESV version of the Bible. You should find one near you, a black Bible. Feel free to borrow those and read along with me. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose, and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. So this chapter I've just read, Genesis 22, is really the pinnacle of Abraham's story. So it makes sense for us to go back and look at how we've reached this point um, in Abraham's work, walk with God. The first time we encounter Abraham is in Genesis 11, and 
we find out that he's descended from Noah. And then in the very next chapter, God calls Abraham. Um, he says to him in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now elsewhere in the Bible, in Joshua 24 verse 2, we know that Abraham, he was worshiping other gods at this point. He wasn't a follower of God. When this call came to him, it came out of the blue, out of the night sky. Uh, But what Abraham did, he followed the call of the one true God and he obeyed. Hebrews 11 verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. So, This is a great start for Abraham. We see the first time we encounter him, he's called by God and he responds straight away and he goes. He leaves his family, leaves his land, and he goes. Abraham, he's the most faithful guy ever, right? Mm, Unfortunately not. In the same chapter, Genesis 12, at the end we find out that Abraham's faith is not perfect by any means. He meets the Egyptian pharaoh and he tells the pharaoh that his wife is actually his sister. And the reason he does this is to protect himself. And what this also means is it puts his wife in great, great danger. I want to stop here. Now this, uh, husbands out there, I hope you know that protecting yourself and putting your wife in danger is not godly husbandry. Um, But what can be an encouragement to us is that Abraham is not perfect. He messes up just like we do. And even on the back of a great step of faith, we see a great lack of faith in God and his protection of Abraham. Despite this sin, God still um, carries on with Abraham. And in Genesis 15, God makes a covenant with him. And what he does is he promises him many descendants. Genesis 15 verse 6 tells us that Abraham believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So again, here we have another good mark against Abraham's name. And what makes it even better is that Abraham was 75 years old at this point, and he believed that God would keep his promise and provide him with a son, and from that son, he would have many descendants. That was great faith. What was not great faith was the way he chose to act on this, doing it in his own strength. He had a uh, child with his maidservant instead of his wife, and this child, Ishmael, caused great discord in the family. But again, this can be an encouragement to us, even though it was a terrible thing, again, which Abraham did, we see this great mess up from this man, and still we see that he is faithful. He's commended in Hebrews chapter 11 as a man of great faith. So the covenant's been made. Um, It's reiterated in Genesis chapter 17. God reinforces the covenant, again promises a son, and this takes us up to Genesis 21. We're nearly at the passage for today, but in Genesis 21, Isaac is born. The promise is kept, the covenant is fulfilled, and Abraham was 100 years old, and he believed. Now, I misspoke there. The covenant was not fulfilled. Abraham could have been forgiven for thinking that the covenant would end there. He'd had the son which God promised. That son, Isaac, was going to have many descendants. God had kept his promise. Abraham was like, praise God, thank you so much. But what we find out in Genesis 22 is that the story did not end there. Abraham's faithfulness 
was to be tested. What I want to do now is walk through Genesis 22 again and just pick out a couple of examples of Abraham's faithfulness. In verse 3, we read that Abraham rose early in the morning. So after God had told him, hey, the son I gave you, go and sacrifice him, your one and only son, Abraham, he rose early in the morning. Now, if that had been me, I might have been tempted to have a lion, hope that God was joking or that I'd misheard him. But no, Abraham was faithful to God and what he called him to do. And so he arose early in the morning and he set out. In the next verse, as Abraham had been walking for three days, in verse 4 we read that as he approached the mountain, he looked up and he lifted his eyes and he saw the mountain from afar, the place where he was going to sacrifice his son. I think it's good for us as we read the Bible to put ourselves in the shoes and in the mind and in the emotions of the biblical characters. I want to urge caution with that. We shouldn't take it any further than the text permits. But I think it's okay in this situation to imagine just how Abraham felt. He'd been traveling for three days, and as he looked up and saw the place, the location where he was told to sacrifice his son, what must have been running through his mind and his heart at that point? How did he feel when he saw that mountain? The next thing I want to pick out is verse 5. And this one's more subtle. It doesn't come through as well in the um, English translation, translation of this verse. But verse 5 says, um, Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And what is, needs to be made clear is that in the original text, when Abraham said him and Isaac would go over here, he said that him and Isaac, they, plural, would come back. So even at this point, we've got hindsight. We know the whole story. I just read it to you. But Abraham didn't know. All he had to go on was the faith and the promise he had put in the covenant which God had made with him. Yet he still believed and told his servants that they would come back together. And all of this culminates uh, Abraham's faith in verse 8 when Isaac asks him, where is the ram, the animal, to be sacrificed? And Abraham tells his son, God will provide. God will will provide. And again, Abraham didn't know how, but he knew that God would provide because God had made a promise to him, and he knew that God was faithful. Again and again, Abraham has faith in God's promise, even in this short passage. And Abraham is commended for his faith in this situation. Hebrews 11, verse 17 to 19, what I'm reading is from the NIV version. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice he who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from, the death, from death. At this point, when Abraham had lifted the knife to kill Isaac and had been told to stop, Again, Abraham could have put the knife down and been like, okay, the story's ended here. Isaac is still alive. My son, from whom I'm going to have many descendants. God's kept his promise. The covenant is fulfilled. But again, the story had not ended there. And I think we have to ask ourselves, why did the story not end at that point? And another good question, is Abraham the ultimate faithful hero in this story? Or is there someone else? And this point, we're going to transition into the second part of my sermon this morning and the most important part, the bit I'd like you to pay the most attention to. Because the he who remains faithful, the title of my talk, 
That's not Abraham. Abraham was faithful, but the one who was ultimately faithful was God. God remains faithful. Now, as we move into this, an important detail I want to tell you straight away is that the covenant which was made in Genesis 15, um, an important thing about that, we're not going to dive into all the details of this, but that covenant was guaranteed by God alone. Normally, when a covenant uh, agreement, a deal is made, you have one party who says, I'll do this if you do this, and the other party says, I'll do this and if you do this, and they shake, they make the agreement. In this case, and you can go back and read it in Genesis 15, Abraham was actually unconscious, so he had no involvement. He was flat on, flat on his back. And so the covenant was guaranteed ultimately by God alone. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 to 14. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And the fact is that when Abraham is commended for his faithfulness, what I think is really happening is that Abraham is commended for his faithfulness in God's faithfulness. He was commended for his faith and trust that God would provide offspring for Abraham, from which he would have many descendants. And so if we go back to the story um, when Abraham said that God would provide the burnt offering, again, he didn't know how when he said that in verse 8 but he knew that God would remain faithful to his promise. And God did fulfill his promise. God always keeps his promises. Abraham knew that. And he provided a ram to be sacrificed in the place of Isaac. And in verse 14, Abraham named the mountain, the Lord will provide. Yet again, here's another clue. The Lord will provide. Is this passage, is this the end of the story? Or is there more to it than that? And what I want to tell you this morning is there's more to it than just this passage we read this morning. It doesn't stop there. Almost 2,000 years later, on the same mountainside, in the same geographical location as Abraham took Isaac to be sacrificed, the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ happened. This isn't the only similarity between these two stories and isn't the only reason where whenever you read this story, I want you to think, of the crucifixion and of the cross. Abraham, he offered up his only son, Isaac. It was the only son of the promise he had. And in the same way, God offered up his only son, Jesus, on that cross 2,000 years afterwards. In the same way that Isaac, that boy, he was a relatively young boy, he carried the wood for the sacrifice on his back in verse 6. And in the same way, Jesus, as a bruised and beaten man, was made to carry the cross at least part of the way up the mountain on which he was to be crucified. Another similarity, and this, this is the great one, is that God provided a substitute in both situations. It was God who provided the ram to take the place of Isaac. And it's God who provides his one and only son to take the place of all who put their trust in him and take the punishment so that the death, and sin, the death they deserve isn't what they get. They get life for eternity with Christ. And friends, this morning, this truth is so important. I don't want it to let it pass you by. That God provided a ram, an animal, to take the place of this young boy. How much greater was the cost which was provided of his only son to pay for all those sins which all of us commit? 
And I know that some of you in here this morning, you know in your heart of hearts that that truth isn't the foundational truth which you base your life upon. You haven't placed Jesus as Lord of your life. You don't yet fully know the sacrifice which was made for you. And what I want to encourage you to do this morning is to think over this passage. Think over what happened on the cross that day, the substitute which was made by Jesus for each of us. And I'd encourage you to not let it rest there as you think about it, to ask God to help you understand it better and what it might mean for you. Please come and speak to one of the elders who will be down the side during communion. Or if you've got a Christian friend, if you know someone who's a follower of Christ who has accepted this sacrifice for themselves, talk to them and see what it means for them. Because this is such an important thing. This isn't something we can just let slide by. The fact is that through the cross and what Jesus did, God remains faithful. For the third part of this talk, um, I'm going to move on to how we remain faithful. Because what the cross means is that we're brought into God's family. And for those of us who trust in Christ's sacrifice from us, we can take away from this passage and this story and apply things to our lives. And we can ask ourselves the question, how do we remain faithful in light of God's faithfulness? Now, it's true to say that Abraham can be an example of a faithful man. I think the faith he shows, some of the things I told you about, and even despite his unfaithfulness, he, Abraham can be a great example for us to follow. But what I want to stress even more so is the faithfulness which God shows. He's the most faithful character and person in this story. And he shows a greater act of love and faith than even Abraham showed. And what he did was he sent his one and only son to die on the cross. And why is this important? It's important to us because just like Abraham, we are unfaithful. Just like Abraham lied about his wife and said it was his sister, there are unfaithful things we do where we don't fully trust in God's faithfulness, where we sin. And despite all of our sin, God remains faithful. And he does this through the cross. The sin which was taken on the cross is paid for by his son so that God can remain faithful. Paul talks about this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. When Paul's speaking about the salvation that is in Christ Jesus, he says that we can trust in this salvation because if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is talking about God and how he remains faithful. And I'm going to repeat it because it is extremely important to what we're talking about this morning. If, and I'll say when, we are faithless, he, God, remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Friends, this is an extremely important, important truth to us because we are going to sin. There are going to be times where we mess up, where we lack faith in God and we put faith in ourselves and where does that leave us? Where do we turn at that point? Where do we take our shame, as Pastor Brent said last week? The fact is that we take it to the cross. Now, for us, our sin probably isn't going to be telling Pharaoh that your wife is your sister. That would be weird. But um, here are some things it could be. Maybe at your workplace, you get offered a promotion, and you get more money, but it would mean less time with your family and you've already strained. Your wife um, has lots of young kids to look after and you already don't get enough time. You don't need the money, but it would be nice to have a bit more money to spend on vacation. And you kind of know that God doesn't want you to do it because it will mean spending less time with your family, but you take the job anyway. 
And what is that showing? Is that showing a lack of faith that God will provide for your financial needs and your financial security? Well, how about this? How about, and each of us has this, something in our character, something we do, even as Christians where we say, nah, that's just the way I am. I can't stop sinning and doing this certain thing. I know it rubs people the wrong way, but that's just the way I am. Does that lack faith that God and the Holy Spirit working in us can really change us? And here's one more, and this one is kind of really hidden. People might never really know about this because it's just what happens in your own private time. But do we pray for our friends and relatives who don't yet know Christ? Do we take the time and the effort? It doesn't have to be hours and hours of prayer, but do we pray by name for our aunts who don't yet know Christ? Do we pray for our co-workers who don't yet know Christ? Or do we not? Because we don't really have faith. We lack the faith to believe that God can really save them, which he saved us, so why couldn't he save them? Those are just some of the ways where our faithlessness could come out. But the fact is that when we're tempted towards that unfaithlessness, here's three things that we can focus on when we're tempted towards this unfaithlessness. The first is this. We are brought to faith in the first place, not by anything we do, but by God. It's not even our act of faith which saves us. Remember Abraham, when I told you early on in Genesis 12 when he was called, he was worshiping gods like the moon god, and God was the one who came to him and brought him to faith. Secondly, once we're brought to faith, our faith increases not because of us having to try hard to get a better and better Christian, but because of God and his faithfulness and giving us the Holy Spirit to work inside of us, that as we strive to, excuse me, to strive to grow in Christ, that he is the one who ultimately works in us and grows us. We're not going to turn there today, but Galatians 3 is a fantastic passage for us, not least because it refers to Abraham a couple of times in this concept of the fact that we are sanctified, that our faith increases because of God, not ultimately because of us. So we're brought to faith, our faith increases, and finally, Our faith is sustained till the end by God. And this goes back to the verse I just read from 2 Timothy 2, verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. It comes back to this truth of the cross that however we are faithless, whatever sin we do, however bad it is, he remains faithful. And because of the cross, that sin can be atoned for. It can be paid for. It has been paid for already because of what he did by sending his son Jesus. And so God can remain faithful to himself and the promise he made to Abraham. And this is the truth as we draw to a close, my friends, that the promise which was made to Abraham, we are part of that promise. We are part of that covenant. And the reason for this is the cross and the fact that we are brought in to Abraham's descendants, Abraham's spiritual family. I want to read the end of Genesis chapter 22 again, the verses 16 to 18. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Also going back just quickly, Genesis 12 verse 2, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. That's what God told Abraham 
And that's what God tells us as Abraham's spiritual descendants. We've received this great blessing of the cross and our sins being taken away and eternal life with Christ. And the reason we've been blessed in that way is that so that we can be a blessing to others. This starts in our own families, that we can show the love of Christ to our children, our spouse, our extended families. We can talk to them about what we've learned in church that morning. We can talk to them about the gospel and tell them the reason for the hope we have. It goes beyond that to your neighbors who live on your streets, your co-workers. Maybe when you go into work tomorrow morning and someone asks, hey, what did you do this weekend? You can be, oh, I heard this sermon by this British guy about Genesis 22. Let me tell you about it. Um, because that's, and you'll get away with that in the Bible Belt. It's fine. Um, you can make jokes in my expense about me being British. It's fine. Um, but the reality is that the... We can't hoard this blessing to ourselves. We need to take, God has placed these people in our life. Those neighbors on your street, that wasn't an accident that they moved there and you moved there. God has placed those people in our lives, the company you're at, the co-workers you have, the mums you meet down the park on play dates. God has placed those people in your life and we can find ways and should pray for ways and seek ways to share our faith with them. And it even goes beyond that to this nation and to this world. Did you catch there in Genesis 22, verse 18? In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. This promise, this covenant, this cross, it wasn't just for Abraham. It wasn't just for the Jewish people. Right from the beginning, God had planned this to be for all the nations of the earth. And so maybe God is calling you to move overseas and take the gospel to places where it's not known, places where they don't know who Abraham is. They don't know who Isaac is. They don't know who Jesus is. They don't know what the cross is because they haven't had an opportunity to hear. Or maybe it will mean supporting those who go. Feet Each Hope, where the gospel message is preached to young African children in Kenya who don't have much. They don't have much education. Education is provided. They don't know the gospel. The gospel is told to them. Food is provided for them. And these are ways that as we're blessed, we can pass on that blessing to others and we're blessed, not because of anything we've done, but because of God and his faithfulness to us. This is taken from the 2020 vision statement for C3, this church. We glorify God by making followers of Jesus Christ who are growing and multiplying so that his name may be made known to every heart in our community and to the furthest reaches of the world. Friends, the only reason we remain faithful is because he, God, remains faithful. I urge you this morning to trust in that truth today and always, and I urge you to share it with those whom you meet. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you're a great God who provides for us. You provided a substitute on that mountainside for a little boy, and that pointed forward to an even greater substitution, an even greater sacrifice, an even greater provision which you made, which was your one son for each of us. I ask that as we go out of here this morning in a couple of minutes that you would convince us even more of that truth and that from that we would be an even greater blessing to those around us. In your name we pray. Amen.